The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. And we're going to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians this morning, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Very familiar chapter, but we're going to try to see some new things in it this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Mindy is going to pray for us and read the passage this morning. Join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you as eager learners this morning, those who seek to know you deeply and to walk beside you fully. Give us ears to hear this morning the reading of the word and give us hearts open to being taught from it as Dan preaches. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As requested, I'll be actually starting in 1231 and ending in 14.1. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Mindy. So in this series, we've been calling Refocus, um, trying to put on new lenses to help us see our life together as a church. And we're in this section of, of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth where he talks about spiritual gifts, these, these gifts the Holy Spirit has given to each believer, indeed to each one of us here today, to build up our local body. And it, it seems that in this area, the Corinthians had lost their focus. They were, they were treating these gifts wrong. They were, they were somehow using spiritual gifts to rank 
who the most spiritual person in the church was. Have you ever done that? Do you ever look around and go, oh man, they read their Bible so much. Oh, they're at church all the time. Oh, they, they give all this money or they, they serve. Do you ever look around and compare yourself to others and think they're better than me or maybe I'm better than them? That's the way I usually go. Um, or, you, or you judge yourself. You judge yourself as a spiritual. You're like, oh, I don't read the Bible very much. I don't pray a whole lot. I'm, am I really even a, a Christian? Like, God has a message for us today through this chapter about what really makes you spiritual. If the question is what makes a person spiritual, what's the highest, what's the most excellent manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the answer is love. Love is the more excellent way Paul wanted the Corinthians and God wants us to follow today. Um, as pop star Tina Turner once saying, what's love got to do with it? And you might be asking that too. What does love have to do with being a truly spirit-filled person? And I have a feeling the Corinthians were probably asking the same question. They were, you know, we get through chapter 12, God gave us the gifts to build the body. They're probably expecting a user's manual on the next great set of gifts they're going to display. And instead, Paul completely changes the subject. Or does he? I don't think he does. I think that God's message through the apostle Paul to us this morning is love to answer Tina Turner's question, what does love have to do with it? I think love has everything to do with everything we do. I'm gonna say that again. That's the big idea I want you to take away this morning. Love has everything to do with everything that we do, okay? It's the definitive marker of a truly spiritual person. So we're gonna see three things today about love, three things that God wants to teach us to help refocus our love. And the first thing in verses one through four is that love is essential. Love is essential to what we do. Look at verse one with me. Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, Paul is saying this gift of tongues that the Corinthians seemed to prioritize, like this was the best thing that they wanted was to speak in tongues. He's like, if it's not being used in love, it's just annoying noise. There's no good to anybody. It's not gonna build to the body. How about verse two? What does Paul write? Look at verse two. If I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And I mean, this sounds amazing. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Prophetic insight, all mysteries, all knowledge, all faith. How could those not be good? We are grateful for those gifts in this church. I've seen deep biblical knowledge, profound faith, prophecy is the Holy Spirit give insight. I've seen all those at work here in this church, but as wonderful as they are, those who use them are nothing without love. Now, this isn't saying that person has no worth. Not saying that. What it's saying, it's, it's commenting on the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Don't judge how spiritual you or I or someone else is by which gifts we exercise, but by how we exercise those gifts. Okay, don't judge how spiritual you are or how spiritual someone else is by which gift we use, by who you see at the prophecy mic or who you see on stage or anything else, but by how we exercise 
those gifts. Okay, verse three seems even more jarring. Look at verse three with me. If I give away all I have, everything, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In the Greco-Roman culture that Paul was writing to, a, a passionless philanthropy, like doing good things to other people without really caring about them was a high virtue, like this stoic, just giving away things and helping people out. And that seems like the highest good. Okay, I can see how tongues don't impact people. I can see how faith may not impact people, but how about charity? How about, how about helping people out materially? Like that's a good thing, right? Maybe even sacrificing your own body for the sake of the gospel. How could that not be good? No, God says through Paul, without love, even the things we do that most clearly help others and seem the most self-sacrificing bring us no benefit if they're not done out of love. Um, just thinking about this as I was doing dinner dishes last night. I'm like, if I do those in a way that's like all grumbly and complainy just to get them done, how much benefit is that bringing me? So I really loving my family. It's, it's not. It's a simple example. I couldn't think of a better illustration right away. But like, just think about how you do things. If it's grumbling and complaining and if it's, if it's without any emotion whatsoever, are you really benefiting yourself or others around you? As I was going through this, I, I was wondering what these verses might sound like if Paul was writing those to the American church today or to our church or maybe even to me. It might sound something like this. If I serve my heart out in every way I can think of, and don't have love, I'm nothing. If I leave the setup team, if I preach great or not so great sermons, but I don't have love, then all my efforts and all my words are useless. If I'm on the right side of every social issue, but don't have love, I'm no good to anyone. If I understand every theological question perfectly and I'm on the right side of every moral issue, but I lack love, I gain nothing. Do you hear how essential how important love is here. Don't get me wrong. It's important to make sure that we're interpreting the Bible correctly. It's important to make sure we're living by God's standards. It's important to be concerned for God's commands to do justice and rescue the oppressed. But, but what God is telling us here is that as important as those things are, he cares more about whether we love one another, even those who disagree with us, than whether we're right. He cares more about our posture than our practice. I'll say that again. He cares more about our posture, the posture, the attitude of my heart, than he does about my practice. Do you see how essential love is? How it has everything to do with everything we do in our lives. The night before, it's so important, the night before Jesus died, Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. One thing above everything else he told them, to love each other in the same way he loved them. John 13, 35, Jesus taught them, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not if you know all the right things, not if you vote the right way, not if you serve as much as you possibly can. Do you wanna know how spiritual you really are? The test is simple. Do you love one another? Theologian D.A. Carson writes, love is not one charisma, one gift of many, but it's an entire way of life, an overarching, all-embracing style of life 
that transcends in importance the claims of this or that gift. Love is essential. Now, maybe you're asking yourself, what does Paul mean by love here? I mean, I love pasta and I love my wife, but I don't mean the same thing when I use the word love in those cases. When we read the word love in this chapter, what are we talking about? Back to Tina Turner, are we talking about just an emotion, a secondhand emotion, some warm feeling towards someone else? All right, am I talking about completely and uncritically affirming everything about another person? Is that love? Maybe we think of love as aggressively confronting someone we think are wrong, metaphorically punching them in the face. Is that the love that Paul means here? I'm going to leave that hanging out for just a few minutes. Before we define what love is, I want to talk about what love does, what it looks like when love shows up in verses 4 through 7. So here's the second thing God tells us about love in this chapter, that is focused on others. Love is focused on others. Look at verses 4 through 6 with me, and let's read them together. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So here Paul describes love in action, what it looks like and what it doesn't. What does love do? It shows patience. It shows kindness. It rejoices when the truth is spoken, when good deeds are done. What doesn't love do? It doesn't brag. It doesn't tear people down. It doesn't insist on getting what it wants. It doesn't become angry easily. All through these verses, I hear echoes of Galatians 5, where Paul describes the fruit the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Think of that familiar passage, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I think that one thing God wants to teach us in these verses is that love that looks this way, the way verses 4 through 6 describe it, is a universal sign of the Spirit's presence in our lives, okay? Not gifts, not, we talked in chapter 12 about how God gave certain gifts to each individual person, but there's one thing that we all have because we all have the Holy Spirit, and that's love, love that looks this way. Okay, what do I mean when I said earlier love is focused on others? It means means I can't show this kind of love to myself. Um, I generally don't need to be kind, unselfish, and patient with myself. On those things naturally, it's fine, all right? I need, I need people around me in order for the love that the Spirit produces to show up in my life. So we act out this love towards our sisters and our brothers here in the church, towards our friends, our neighbors, our families, even those who disagree with us on some things. We act it out towards strangers who are still made in God's image and even, even towards our enemies or people we may think are our enemies. We act this way towards people whose character or actions draw out a response of impatience, unkindness, and anger to people who have wronged me, who irritate me and give me reasons to resent them. I act out love. I don't know if it's this way for you, but for me, it's a little hard to meditate for too long on this chapter. It goes from a very poetic description of love to a reminder of the ways I don't show this love very, very quickly. 
And maybe it can be the same for you, and maybe you're feeling some specific conviction right now about a particular area of your life where this isn't as real as you'd like it to be. That conviction isn't bad. Don't don't brush it off. Don't try to ignore it. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you. But it's important that we respond to that conviction the right way. One, One way we can respond to it is just to try harder, try to love better. But willpower is not how the Bible describes discipleship or growth. So I want to come back to the definition of love that we left hanging a little bit early. Here's where I want to come back to that. Because if we understand that definition, what does this chapter mean by love, we'll know how to respond to that conviction we're feeling in our hearts. Okay? Love, as God is describing it here, is both an emotion and actions that flow towards someone who is not lovable. Okay, more simply, it's heart for and action towards the unlovely. In Romans 5, verse 8, Paul says, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, thank you, Christ died for us. The apostle John wrote, by this we know love, so you want to know what love is, here's how you know, that he laid down his life for us. That was the song we sang right before the break. This is amazing grace. It's unfailing love that Jesus would lay down his life for us. Jesus' death on behalf of sinners, unlovely, unlovable, demonstrates and defines what love is for us. And now because of Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, the Holy Spirit has come into each one of us, into each one of God's people, pouring out his love in our hearts. So where we struggle to show love, the solution isn't to love harder, but to remember God's love poured into our lives and let that love flow out to those around us. As John wrote in another place, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Look at where he starts that verse. Beloved, who are you? You're you're beloved. You're loved by God. We love others. We love others as a response to how God has loved us. I was trying to picture this yesterday. I think the best, the best illustration I could come up with was like, think of a water bottle. Yeah, we all carry water bottles around with us. We drink from them. If there's not a lot of water in that bottle, you can squeeze it as hard as you want and nothing's going to come out, okay? Or maybe a little bit will come out. But if there's something pouring water into that water bottle and it doesn't stop and keeps on pouring, what's going to happen? It's going to overflow. It's going to get full. It's going to overflow. That's, that's the picture God wants us to get this morning. God is pouring the Holy Spirit into our hearts and he wants to fill us up and have that love flow out of our hearts to the people around us. That's the picture I want you to have. Okay, so maybe you're here today and what I'm talking about sounds strange to you, talking about us as sinners, Christ dying for us. That's, that's part of what we call the gospel, part of what we call the good news. We believe that God created the world good, but humans chose to disobey his commands, bringing judgment on the whole human race. Everything that is wrong in the world, the stuff we talked about during the lament this morning, the persecution, everything that's wrong can be traced to that event. So God chose to send his son into the world as a man, Jesus Christ, to take on the punishment for sin allowing us to be in relationship with God again. That's, that's what I mean when I say that God showed love 
by sending his son to die for us. This love we've been talking about, this new relationship, can be yours if you turn away from your sin and trust in the work of Jesus for you. Now, this, this chapter, we're just talking about this before the sermon. This, this is super familiar, right? I mean, have you, have you been to a wedding where you haven't heard 1 Corinthians 13 read? Not a whole lot. And, and these are really poetic words. They're, it's a beautiful chapter, but their familiarity can make them abstract. So to quote my friend Lindsay, how do these familiar words apply in the trenches of real life? So let's just think of a couple possible applications together real quickly, and you can continue to go home and do your homework and work out more. How about, how about is not resentful? Another way to say that is it doesn't keep track of other people's wrongs. Now, I grew up being able to keep a good long list of things people had done to me that weren't right. And I still to this day am tempted by thinking of certain, I can think of people in my life and make a list of ways that they bothered me, hurt me, done me wrong, whatever. That's, that's not love, God says. That's not loving that person. Loving that person doesn't keep a running tally of gripes about other people. So when I'm tempted to remind myself or someone else of something they've done wrong, I need to remind myself of verse five. Love is not resentful. Maybe you're tempted to envy, wanting, wanting what belongs to others. Okay, maybe you, you drive through that neighborhood, you're like, can't believe these people get to live in these nice houses. Why can't I have a house like that? Your neighbor pulls into the drive with that new car that, that you'd really like. Love here might look like rejoicing in God's kindness to those people, even those strangers you don't know, along with gratefulness for the ways he's provided for you. One more, love doesn't insist on its own way. I'll use a positive example of this with our elders. Um, I've watched Tab and the other men in our eldership over the last 10 years in meeting after meeting after meeting, talking about some very difficult decisions and some super hard topics that we didn't always agree on. And the consistent example I've observed and learned from is that no one was getting angry or upset because they didn't get their own way. They didn't get what they wanted. Um, I've seen this love in action over and over and over again. And it's worth considering how does this show up in your life and in mine? It can be super simple. It can be, what are we having for supper? Who gets the TV remote? It can be more significant than that. But Whatever the situation is, love says, I will prioritize your desires, your preferences, your needs over insisting on my own way. Okay, I'm gonna give you three quick ways to put this into practice, no matter what the topic, no matter what the, the area that you're tempted not to love in. Okay, first, like we talked about earlier, remember God's love for you. Remember God's love for you. As objects of God's love, we display God's love. Second, seek the Spirit's work in your life. That's why I had Mindy read verse 14, because Paul goes through this whole chapter, and he, he finishes the chapter break. He's unfortunate. He says, pursue love. This is something we can go after and work towards in our own lives. Pursue love. Ask the Spirit to produce his fruit in your heart. And the third thing is, to pray for the people around you. Simple. 
Pray for your brothers and sisters in this church, specifically by name, by face. It is hard to be unkind. It's hard to be impatient. It's hard to be resentful towards someone you're praying for. Think as you find, as you spend time talking to God about your sister, your brother, your love for them will grow. All right, is this helping you see the big idea this morning that love has everything to do with everything we do? Is there, is there anything you do in your life? Is there anybody you interact with that doesn't require patience or kindness or humility? I, I don't think so, at least not in my life. Now, some of you may be in hard situations where relationships are difficult, and perhaps what you're experiencing goes beyond simple irritation to something more serious, to mistreatment or to harm. These verses, unfortunately, have been used to keep people in vulnerable situations silent, to keep them from exposing sin. Read verse 7 with me. Look at verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I don't have time this morning to completely unpack everything that means, but what I do know it doesn't mean is that love covers up real sin being done to you or being done to someone else. It doesn't mean to remain in a situation where you're being harmed or abused in the name of love. Verse six also speaks to this. Read verse six with me, look again at it. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. Sometimes, sometimes the way of love is to stay in that hard situation. Sometimes the way of love is to leave that hard situation. This requires a lot of wisdom. It requires the help of our elders, our church community around us to see what the right way is when the situation feels gray. Okay, this is hard. This is hard stuff. As I've thought about this passage for the last several weeks, this is hard and it keeps coming up over and over again. We need wisdom for this to know what showing love looks like in our various situations. I can't tell you what that looks like. There's no easy answers here, but here's some encouragement. The end of chapter 12, what did Paul say he's showing us? A more excellent way, okay? It's a walk. It's a lifetime of effort to have the Holy Spirit work out in our lives conforming to Christ. It's not an on-off switch. Either we're perfectly loving or we're not perfectly loving, okay? It's a spirit-empowered lifetime of work. Okay, so that's the second thing God's teaching us about love, that it's, it's focused on others. So we've seen that love is essential. Love is focused on others. And the third thing and the last thing we're gonna see is that love is eternal. Love is eternal. It lasts forever. Let's read verses eight through 10 with me and see this together. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Paul is telling the Corinthians, there's going to come a time when those spiritual gifts you've been using as a measuring stick are finished. Prophecy, gone. Tongues, gone. Knowledge, gone. But love, love will never disappear. Look down at verse 13, there at the end of the chapter. He tells them, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these 
is love. Why, why is love so great? Why is this way of love more excellent than all these spiritual gifts? Here's one reason. There's probably a lot more. But one reason is the gifts aren't perfect now. We're going to look at this in a minute, but tongues, prophecy, knowledge, they're partial. They're, they're imperfect. But the love that we experience from God right now is, is not imperfect. There's no in part to it. The love that we receive from God right now and the love we display to others can be complete and mature right now. And Paul uses two metaphors to make this point, two kind of word pictures he gives us to understand what this now versus the future looks like in love. So the first metaphor is in verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me, please. And he's comparing using these spiritual gifts to physical maturity. When I was a child, verse 11 says, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When I was a kid, he says, what I, how I talked, how I thought, how I reasoned, it was only informed by my very limited experience, and that was, that was fine. If you've been around kids or you have kids, you know that that's, that's wonderful, that's cute, that's fine when they're kids. It's appropriate for where they are in life, but if you're 40 and you're still talking and thinking and reasoning like a child, it's not appropriate anymore. There comes a time when we give up those childish ways, those childish things, and that's what Paul's saying. There's going to be a time in our lives as Christians, in our, in our lives as a body together, where the spiritual gifts we've experienced on this earth, we, we give them up. We don't need them anymore. They will no longer be helpful in the new creation. A second metaphor is that of a mirror. And let's see that in verse 12 together. What does he say in verse 12? For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Corinth was known for its bronze mirrors, its polished bronze mirrors, but you can imagine how well an image polished bronze would give you. Somewhat good, but kind of dim and distorted. Let me try to give you a better metaphor for our day. Think of a photo. Um, we used to have printed out photos, kids, for those of you without cell phones. Maybe there are times when a picture of a loved one is really valuable to you. You've got a parent, a sibling, a niece or nephew who lives a long way away. For me, it was, you know, six, eight-month deployments on the ship. Isn't it good to have a picture of that person you love to look at, remember them, and remind you of them? But what happens when that person comes to visit? Do you sit there and keep staring at that photo? No. You put the photo down and you go hug that actual person who's come to visit you, right? That's what Paul's talking about here. The gifts the Spirit gives us are like that photo for us. So like that picture that they serve a valuable purpose while we're apart from Jesus. While we're here and Jesus is not, these gifts are building us up, making us more like him. But at some point, we won't need the picture anymore because Jesus is gonna come back for us. Okay, the picture, in this case, the spiritual gifts will go away, but the love that we share with our Lord will last forever. You guys getting the picture here? Gifts go away, love lasts forever. How do we know when that time is? How do we know when we won't need the gifts anymore? Okay, let's look back at verse 10 with me. Verse 10 says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What is the perfect? 
What does Paul mean by that? When will these spiritual gifts, prophecy, tongues, and so on, pass away? I think he answers that in verse 12. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Face to face, what does that mean? When is that? I think the perfect comes when Jesus, when our Savior returns for his bride, when we see him face to face. There's often debate on the continuation of spiritual gifts, but I find this most convincing. After all, we saw last week, the spiritual gifts are given for the building up of the body. Do we think? I think it's safe to say that the body will always need building up until the day when Jesus comes back, until the last day when this old creation comes to an end and the new creation makes its appearance. Okay, let's, I wanna wrap this up. I wanna invite Rick to come back up and the servers can prepare to serve us. So we started by asking, how do we really see how spiritual, how spirit-filled, that's what I mean by that word spiritual, just spirit-filled, I am or someone else's, and the answer God gave us was love. Love is an essential mark of the Spirit living in our hearts. Love that focuses on others, because that love will last into eternity when all the spiritual gifts have disappeared. Love has everything to do with everything we do because it reflects how God has loved us. And love, I'll say that one more time. Love has everything to do with everything we do because it reflects how God has loved us. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.